Well, as Dale mentioned, everybody in my family except my wife and I are sick. <clears throat> and I think I'm getting it. So this may be quick. I'm losing my voice pretty quickly as we were singing that back there. I told Sarah my throat is getting a little raw. But Elder Dave supplied me with some of his magical throat spray. So let me try some of that. Okay, sir, that'll work. <clears throat> Last Sunday evening, um, we discussed the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and we've been studying through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, and uh, last week we looked um, at kindness, the fruit of the Spirit of kindness, and tonight we'll look at goodness. Uh, and if you were following along there in, in Titus chapter 3, both goodness and loving kindness were both mentioned uh, in reference to God. And in our brief study last week, uh, we talked about the fact that kindness is an attribute of God and how that applies to our life. If it's a fruit of the Spirit, it means that it is of the Spirit of God. And therefore, if we are walking in the Spirit, it's one of those characteristics that we too should be um, showing in our lives. So Paul wraps up his letter to Titus uh, talking about God's loving kindness. In, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, he reminds Titus, uh, and of course those to which Titus ministers, uh, and by uh, us having the letter, us as well, um, to conduct themselves gracefully towards those in authority and to all of men. And this morning, uh, I want us to focus on verses 3 through 7 for our lesson. And um, Matt just read that, uh, of course. Um, and that section, this section tells us why uh, we should act with such grace um, toward those in authority, towards our fellow man, uh, mainly because of our own condition before we experienced God's grace and because of what has happened since we became recipients of God's grace. So to, pre- uh, to appreciate why, Uh, we should conduct ourselves in the manner prescribed in verses 1 through 2. Let's look at verse 3 uh, and Paul's description of our condition before God's loving kindness. The first of which, foolish, disobedient, and led astray. Now the Greek has a lot, right? These words have a lot of deeper meaning than sometimes what the English um, can provide us. The word foolish, and I won't go into what the Greek words are. You can just take my word for it or you can study it yourself. Um, But the word for foolish means not understanding, means unwise. Um, Of course, foolish is another one of the words that uh, the Greek dictionary has. Uh, The word disobedient. Means unwilling to be persuaded, unbelieving, disobedient, and then deceived or led astray, as the the ESV has. Uh, deceived means those who are seduced, which I think is an interesting translation for this. But those who are seduced or gone astray, those who are are led away by by uh, by pleasures or by lusts that that draw them away. And in fact, this is a spiritual condition. Um, all of those things, foolishness, disobedience, deception, um, li- being led astray, this is all a, a sign of a spiritual weakness. And Paul describes this elsewhere in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Uh, Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk 
as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So the ignorance, the foolishness, the disobedience, the fact that they are easily persuaded is due to their hardness of heart. And that is a condition that many Christians that are now Christians were once in. And that's the condition that many today are still in, those who are lost. Another condition that Paul describes here in Titus, in verse 3, is that we are slaves to various passions and pleasures. The New King James has serving various lusts. The uh, NASB says uh, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Now, I want us to notice very carefully the meaning that Paul has and gives in this. This doesn't mean that we uh, or they, in, in the terms of this letter, are served or gratified by our lusts and pleasures. Rather, it means that we are living, as their slaves were, a life of misery and wretchedness. Being a slave is not... And we talked about being a slave this morning in terms of something that one oftentimes chose to do in order to pay off the debt. But it wasn't a glorious life. It's not like they were living a life of luxury, driving around the newest uh, horse around town or, or, or having the, the, the nicest rims on their camel. Right? This is not a life of luxury. It is a life of misery. It is a life of servitude. It is a life of devotion, having to do what the Master says that they, they have to do. Now, Paul, again, in, in Ephesians chapter 4 um, the, the next verse of what we just read also talks about this. He says, uh, regarding the Gentiles, he says, they have become callous and have given up themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now the whole section there is talking about their hardness of hearts and the fact that they are so uh, against believing in God or even listening to the gospel because of their desire instead to practice every kind of impurity. That's what brings them pleasure. That's what makes them happy. And they don't think God can provide that level of happiness. They don't think God can provide that level of comfort because that's what they're comfortable in now. Now another... uh, condition that Paul talks about here is living or passing our days in malice and envy. Malice, of course, means ill will, um, and the the Greek definition carries with it uh, the desire to injure someone. Um, Envy, uh, pretty simple, envious, jealous. Uh, It it also carries with it a, a definition of pain. Um, feeling pain towards one another, and it also carries with it um, the the definition of malice. Malice uh, conceived at the sight of excellence or happiness of others. And so what Paul is saying here, that before God's loving kindness, we live in a, a state of, of, of jealousy, of being jealous of the success of others and, and seeking to do them harm because of their successes. Now, I don't know about you, but that's something that I definitely have experienced in life in some way. Not that I necessarily want to harm someone, but how many times have you seen someone perhaps at your job succeed more than you, but they haven't been working as hard as you, and you feel like you've worked harder than them and you deserve that promotion? And so then you may turn to backstabbing or trying to get them caught in something that they were doing beforehand and try to undermine them. That's doing them harm. That's malice and envy. 
And that all leads to the, the last condition that Paul talks about. And that is hated, being hated by others or hating one another. Now, hated by others uh, is also translated uh, in other uh, translations as hateful, uh, as being hateful, full of hate. Um, but the, the definition means to be hated or detestable, uh, meaning no one wants to be around you. Um, basically, Paul means that our conduct was worthy of the hatred of others. The way we were living our lives, the way the people that Paul is talking about here are living their lives is not something that people want to be around. Now, the, the other part of this, hating one another, uh, implies an act of ill will in our words, in our conduct. It's a, it's a persecuting spirit. It's a hateful spirit. But not to excuse it, it is a natural condition of those who are left to their own moral shame. And Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. Paul says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Every time I read that verse, I think about our society. Every time I read basically the thesaurus that Paul provides of all of these evil things. And many of those things we heard in Titus. Many of those things are the characteristics of our condition before God's loving kindness. And because those are things that happen before God's loving kindness means that once we receive God's loving kindness, those things need to be put away. Those things shouldn't exist in our lives anymore. Many of the things that we just read in Romans there should go away. I I saw a a graphic on Facebook the other day that says, gossiping is just bullying someone outside of their presence. Think about it. That's really what gossip is. Gossip is probably one of the most dangerous things that exists in the church today. It's one of the most sinful things. It is a sin. But it's something that continues still today. And many of these things continue in some way. And these are things that should be repented of and, of course, turned away from. Living without God's kindness and love, we are truly ungodly, sinning. We're enemies of God. That's what it comes down to. But yet His love was manifested even while we were in such a condition. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that even while we were His enemies, God loved us enough to send us His Son. And in our text of focus this morning, Paul again shows Titus, and in turn we are told, of what our condition after God's kindness and love. He says we are, oops, we are saved by His mercy. In verses 4 through 5, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, 
not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we may get caught up in the He saved us, not by works that we have done, but according to His mercy. Some people get stuck on that and say, see there, that's it. It's nothing that we have to do. There's nothing we have to do to be saved. God's already done it. Through His grace. You have to finish the sentence. You have to finish the, the, the Scripture. Because the end of verse 5 says, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's not through works of merit by which we earn salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God created or prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The key element to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, is that we are not saved as a result of works, Why? So that we cannot boast. So that we can't go around and say, look what I've done! I've been saved because I just helped this homeless guy. Wrong. Verse 10 says, we are His workmanship. We were created by Him. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works is not what saves us. Our salvation leads us to do good works in order to glorify Him. Because baptism, which is the regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit that we're going to talk about next, that, that is not a work that we do. Colossians chapter 2 talks about how it is the powerful working of God. Yes, we have to get into the water. Yes, somebody typically joins with us and dunks us under the water. Yes, technically that is a work because it's being done, but the, the salvation is not in the dunking. Right? The person who's doing the dunking isn't saving the person. Jesus Christ is the one who's saving it. The action that's being done, the action that's being performed is being buried with Christ in the water. It's obeying His command to do so. We are saved through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And this distinctly refers to baptism. There is no way around it. It is baptism with which and through which, as a medium, regeneration is conceived as taking place. That's where the, the regeneration and the washing happens. Now, I want to compare this to Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Paul says here, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. It is true that nothing is said of faith, but baptism implies faith on the part of its recipient. It has no regenerating effect apart from faith. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit is not given without faith. You can take someone and you can dunk them in water, but if they don't have faith, all you're doing is dunking them in water. 
You might as well just set up a dunking booth outside and hit the, hit the target. It's just, and, I, and it takes me back to infant baptism. You can sprinkle a baby with water, which is not baptism. Or you can dunk the baby in water, which I've seen some Orthodox do. Very, very vigorously, mind you. The baby doesn't have faith. All that baby knows is, I'm hungry, I have a wet diaper, I need to sleep. The baby doesn't have faith. It can't confess faith. And so doing that does nothing more than just get the baby wet and angry most times. I know if I was baptized like some of those babies were, I'd be very, very angry. It is by God's grace in baptism, through baptism, that we are born again of water and the Spirit. As Jesus commands in John chapter 3, verses 3-5, through 5, as He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, Jesus answered him, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I don't know why people fight that. I don't understand how people can read these verses that we have in the Bible and just pick and choose one over the other and just ignore everything else. We are regenerated and renewed by the Spirit, and we are justified by His grace. Justified in the Greek means to render just or to be made innocent. Think about that. We have been made innocent by His grace. And we have to go back to the condition that we were beforehand. We were sinners. We were ungodly. We were enemies of Christ. Enemies of God. But, we are justified by His grace. And that justification comes through the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, we have been made innocent by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Because of Christ's blood, because of that sacrifice on the cross, we have been made innocent, therefore no longer needing or no longer requiring the punishment of eternal damnation by God. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. We have forgiveness of sins through His blood. And that justification comes when we are baptized for the remission of sins. For the remission of sins. We have our sins washed away. Acts 2, verse 38 the day of Pentecost, as Peter was speaking to the crowd, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul recounts his conversion in Acts 22, Paul recounts the man who came and preached to him the gospel. He said, Rise up. Wash away your sins. Now for many, the argument comes around the word ice in the Greek. 
Some people say that it means because of, instead of for the. But I would say that if Paul states in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, that if he had to get up and wash away his sins, that means his sins were still there. He didn't need to get up and wash because he had sins. I'm sorry, he didn't need to get up and wash away sins that were already taken away. That doesn't make any sense. Get up and take a bath because you're clean. We are justified by His grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that makes us, and this is the best condition, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of receiving eternal life at the end. Romans 6, verses 22 through 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we talked this morning about Philemon, and being set free from slavery, set free from the debt that we owe. We owe a debt. We all owe a debt. And there's no way we could ever repay it. And the only way that it could ever be fully repaid has already been done, and that's through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. The opening of Titus, in verse 7, Paul opens up the letter by proclaiming the hope of eternal life has been promised by God even before time began. God has always desired for man to dwell with Him eternally. In fact, we could go all the way back to the garden and watch as God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. His intention was to create man and to dwell with them. But then man turned their back on Him. They sinned against Him and He no longer dwelt with them. And so in Christ... He reconciles man back to himself so that he can once again dwell with mankind eternally for those who obey. We are to be slaves of God. And because we have been justified by His grace, because we've been renewed by the Spirit and the washing of water and saved by His mercy, we are heirs of God, and as such we are joint heirs with Christ. I don't know about you, that's pretty cool. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 16-17, through 17, we are on equal ground with our brother, Jesus Christ. All of this is important. It's essential to our salvation. But it's also contingent on our remaining faithful until the end. And that's that's what I think a lot of people struggle with. Matthew 24, verse 13, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus talks about it in Revelation as well. But our faith is to continue until the end. There's no once saved, always saved. You have to walk 
in the newness of life. Romans chapter 6. We are buried with Christ in baptism, raised in a resurrection like His to walk in a newness of life. Meaning that old life, those old conditions that we were once living in, they're gone. They need to get, you need to get rid of them. And you need to walk in a newness of life, living according to the grace and the mercy that you have been shown. And showing that in turn to those around you. How powerful is the kindness and the love of God? Taking those who are ungodly, those who are sinners and enemies of God, and turning them into people who are saved, regenerated, justified, and heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's like we were in World War II. And all of a sudden, we just decided, you know what? We're going to forgive all of the Nazis everything they've done. And we're going to welcome them in with open arms and love them and show them kindness. And we're going to end this war and do those things. In our stupid human brains, that's unfathomable. For what all they've done, all the, all the harm and the bad things that they did, why in the world would we accept them and love them and forgive them? But that's what God did for us. As crazy as that sounds, that's the loving kindness of God. Because we can never fully understand the grace and the mercy and the peace that God provides. The peace that, God's provi- that God provides surpasses all understanding. And that peace is provided through Christ and His blood. And this love, this kindness, it's not available for only a select few, as some may claim. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, as Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. All men. Indeed, God desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 3-6, through six, he said, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. When we pray, do we realize that we are talking to God because of Christ? And we are talking to God through Christ? And that unless we are in Christ, that avenue of prayer doesn't exist. It's there. You can, you can talk to God, but you're not connecting to Him because you don't have a mediator outside of Christ. 2 Peter chapter 2, or, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's desire is that all men would be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance and the washing and the regeneration and the renewal by the Spirit. And the invitation of salvation is given to whoever desires. That's a key part of it. As the Bible closes, as Revelation ends, Jesus says in Revelation 22, verse 17, He says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The water of life 
is the water of baptism because it brings about eternal life. And whether we experience the power of the loving kindness of God, it depends on us. Whether we are willing to listen and to obey the gospel of Christ. Part of our reading for next week, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, touches on this. I want you to look at that as you read through next week. But do you desire to be baptized today? Do you desire to put away the old condition to gain access and to accept God's loving kindness? If you haven't obeyed the gospel this morning, what are you waiting for? Why not today? Why not turn away from the condition that you were once in and turn to God's loving kindness and become heir according to the hope of eternal life? If we can assist you with that today, or if you have any other need that the church can assist you with, if you wish to be restored, or you need the prayers of the church, or you just need study and comfort, we're here for that as well. If we can assist you in any way, won't you come now while we stand and sing?